Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. Last week, I was able to have lunch with Chip Murdoch, one of our um, members of our worship team, and uh, Pastor Philip Turner, who is the pastor at the African um, Methodist Episcopal Church here in town. And uh, we were talking, and uh, Pastor Turner asked uh, Chip, he said, what do you make of these uh, racial riots and protests and tensions? And Chip said, you know, on our worship team, and I know it's hard to believe that a, a drummer can be profound, but he really was. He said um, he believes that the all the racial tension is just a ploy by Satan to divide us. And he's right on. He's right on. Satan will use the tactics. His, his uh, one preacher called them the hounds of hell, hatred, hypocrisy, and fear to divide us from each other. And as a church, we're not allowed to make that happen. You know, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he had us in mind to fight against hatred, hypocrisy, and fear. And I believe that there is a way we can do that. There is a responsibility we have to fight against those, uh, the, those ploys of Satan, those tactics of hell. And there is a way to do it, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. Last week, we started studying Ephesians, looking at what, who our identity is, who we are in Christ. And as we uh, develop that idea that we are significant, we have significance in Christ, that we are chosen, we are bought, we are forgiven, we found that we could repeat this phrase, I am a child of God, and that gives us a great foundation to stand on. But being a child of God also means that we have responsibility in His family. Being a child of God also means we have something we're supposed to do and uh, uh chores, if you want, in the household of God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins to lay out some of those responsibilities that are for every church member. I asked Francine Funk and Christy Funk, members of our princess ministry, to read this passage of Scripture for us, um, and it's uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you genitals, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the Mr. Mister Mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly in reading this then you will be able to understand my insights in the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, God's holy apostles and 
prophets. This mystery is that the, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together through of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the work working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the bounteous riches of Christ and to make plan to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in heaven's realms, according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. What Francine and Christy read there, there are three ways that we can push back. Paul mentions three ways we can push back against the ploys of Satan. And if, you, if you're taking notes and writing them down, you can write down three words, administration, mystery, and movement. Administration, mystery, and movement. That, that administration word uh, used in uh, verse uh, 2 and verse 9 is uh, what Paul's responsibility is and what he says the church's responsibility is. Verse 2 and 3 and 8 and 9 say this, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery known to me by revelation. And then skip on down to verse 8. This is where we come in. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. That word administration is kind of this word where we get economics from. It's a stewardship word. Some translations have stewardship. Um, it's, it's the idea that there is the, the master of the house puts somebody in charge of the house to, to order the affairs of the household to steward and manage the home. So if you can imagine the top person in the home who tells everybody what to do and make sure that they buy all the right supplies and make sure every, and, and that person is going to be held accountable whether they do their job right or wrong. Paul says we have this stewardship, this administration to do within the church, and we are going to be held accountable as children of God people in the church, whether we are fulfilling the economics, the stewardship, the administration of our responsibility in the church. See, being a child of God has a privilege. It is great to be chosen and bought and forgiven, but it also comes with responsibility. And the great theologian Peter Parker says, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh -huh. 
Just like Paul, we must share with others what God has revealed to us. Paul said he was chosen by God to fulfill this responsibility, share the mystery. And Paul was going to be held accountable if he didn't share the mystery. And we have the same responsibility as a child of God to share the mystery. And we're going to be held accountable if we don't share the mystery. And here's what Paul says the mystery is. And this is going to shock you. Because usually when we get to this part of the, the message in this part of the Bible, we think it's the gospel. We just have to talk about Jesus died and rose again. But in this place, in this place in the scripture, Paul doesn't say it's the death and resurrection that is the mystery that God wants to be revealed. This is, this is, there's two things in here, two things in this passage that are going to blow your mind. And the first is the mystery that we have to reveal. The, the mystery is found in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The great mystery that we have to administer, that we have to share with others, is that we are all equal in Christ. Paul's entire life was changed when he met Jesus. He had been actively fighting and persecuting Jesus Christ and anybody who was associated with Jesus Christ. But when he met Jesus, he realized, recognized, came to the conclusion, was changed from the inside out. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was exactly who the followers of Christ said he was. And Paul could no longer attack Jesus, but had to join his team. And Paul's whole mindset changed uh, about his whole relationship with other people. He believed, Paul was a Jew, he believed Jews were the chosen people of God, and they are. But he also believed that that meant nobody else could be the chosen people of God. They were outsiders, they were different, they were different ethnicities, and he could not let them in. But when he met Christ, he realized that in Christ they all became one. They were all chosen people of God. Anybody who puts themselves in Jesus is now the chosen people of God. And there was no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, in our case, in Christ, there's no longer black or white. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or black or white or fat or skinny or young or old. If you put yourself in Christ, you become one in Jesus. And this is the great mystery that nobody had ever seen before. There were God's people and everybody else, and Jesus allows us all to be God's people. And this is the mystery that we have to share with others. You know, we're equal when we come to the foot of the cross, if you think about it, because the scripture says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no person that can get into heaven because they're good enough. There's no person that can get into heaven because they're pure enough or they followed all the rules or they have the right skin color or they have the right ethnicity or they came from the right church or the right family. You are equal when you go to the cross and you need forgiveness. And you have to put your whole person and trust your whole self into Jesus. When you go to the foot of the cross, you are equal. You are one person. And when you go into the water in baptism to be buried into Jesus, we're all equal in baptism. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you spend a lot of money on your haircut or you do it like I do. $20 for an electric razor works every week. When you go down in the water and come up, everybody's hair is messed up. We're equal at the foot of the cross and we're equal in baptism. And Paul says in Ephesians 3, we are equal in Christ, heirs together, members together, sharers together. 
Those three words are kind of almost made up words in the Greek text. Paul put words together and made compound words out of words that didn't go together because he wanted to emphasize how the two become one. Heirs together, he says, we're going to share in the inheritance of Christ. If you're in Jesus, you get to share all the things, all the blessings, all the spiritual blessings that Jesus wants to give us with all the other children of God. And that word members together, that was a word that had never, has never been found in any other Greek text, but it was coined and became a word after Paul wrote it here. Members together of one body. We are the church, the body of Christ. And wherever we go and wherever we speak, we are speaking as if we are speaking for Christ. And whoever we help with our hands, we are helping them as if we are the hands of Christ. Wherever our feet take us, we are the feet of Christ. We become one body. And when we are working together and serving together, we push back hatred and hypocrisy and fear. We fight against the spiritual realm. Sharers together. We are sharing together salvation and life. We are equal in God. And this is a mystery that people need to hear and we need to know about. This is, uh, in 2009, Switchfoot, which is an alternative Christian rock band from San Diego, they actually wrote a song about this guy named John Perkins. John Perkins was born in 1930 to what he describes as non-Christian sharecroppers and bootleggers. And he later was introduced to Christ by his son, Spencer, and became uh, quite a significant person in the civil rights movement. Uh, John Perkins, uh, so we have to ask ourselves, what would make Switchfoot, a Christian alternative band, write a song and dedicate it to John Perkins? John Perkins, after he became a Christian, he dedicated his life to the passion of trying to convince the church on who the church is supposed to be, the church that Jesus Christ desires. And so John Perkins uh, fought in uh, to desegregate Mississippi, where he was born. He uh, enrolled Spencer, his son, the first white student in 1969, in an all uh, the first black student 1969 in an all white school in Mississippi. In 1970, he was arrested and tortured in an American prison, and he came out of prison even more convinced that the gospel could bring peace. The gospel of Jesus could fight against. Racism and hatred and bigotry. And he says the church is where it has to happen first. He's written, uh, set, he's authored 17 different books. He has set policy for the United States by being on five different presidential councils. But none of that is the reason why Switchfoot wrote a song about him. Um, here's a quote from John Perkins from his, his, uh, his book, uh, Dream With Me. He says, and I quote, I'm all for churches being part of the nonviolent marches and protests that have happened in the wake of violent killings. But these protests happen only after a tra tragic event has taken place. I want the church to be what prevents these acts from ever happening. I want the church to be the community that is so dedicated to loving our neighbors, to caring for the poor and neglected, and to living out true reconciliation that those killings don't even take place, end quote. But the quote that inspired Switchfoot to write a song dedicated to John Perkins is this quote, we meet violence and hatred with radical love. 
John says, I know what it is to love my enemy with the love of Christ found in me. He said, I know what it is to live by the Spirit to bring about peace and forgiveness for those who have attacked and harmed me. And he says, the church should be radically loving people that are different than them in such a way that those outside the community are drawn into what we have. When we love with radical love, we push back the ploys and tactics of Satan, hatred, hypocrisy, and fear. Doesn't Dr. Perkins sound like Paul in verse 7 of this chapter? I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. We have a responsibility, church, to administrate the mystery of the gospel, that all people are one. And this last Point number three, movement, is, comes from verse 10. His intent was now through the church. That's us. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I wish we had never translated the English word church as church. That word with it carries with it this weight that doesn't describe what Jesus said, I will build my church. I try not to use uh, Greek terms too much because it, I'm, I'm no Greek scholar, but that word church is not a good translation. The idea that the word church has too much Western Christianity attached to it. The idea that we sit and listen is not all the church is supposed to be. The idea that the church is four walls where we're supposed to build it bigger and better is not all that Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. The word, ecclesia, which we translate into church, has a richer, deeper, more profound history than what we're used to. The Greeks used this word, ecclesia. Think Alexander the Great. As they conquered areas and lived in places, they had an ecclesia. And the Greeks, here's what they use it for. They had these city communities and the ecclesia was the, when they were called out of their homes to assemble in the city, to work on the city. And so the ecclesia for the Greeks was the called out ones to assemble so they could do the work of the city. And so they would decide where they were going to put the streets and how they were going to clean up the area. And they would even make a decision on whether they were going to go to war. And if they went to war, the whole city got involved in going to war. When the Romans captured these areas, think now Caesar Augustus, they used this word ecclesia, but they added to it. They still said, okay, it's called out ones so that they can go to work, but now we're going to do it this way. Rome captured more of the known world than anybody had ever done before. They stretched all the way from North Africa to the Middle East. They stretched all the way from Germany and Great Britain all the way to, I mean, it's incredible. And they kept capturing these people. They were known as barbarians. And so the Caesar would call people out, about 300 people, all the best, the best lawyers, the best doctors, the best soldiers. They were the called out ones, and he would send them to be a colony in these new captured places. And he would, they would be instructed, you're going to go to this colony and be a, you're going to go and be a colony among the barbarians, and you're supposed to keep the Roman ways, the Roman dress, the Roman language, the Roman laws, and you're supposed to convert all the barbarians to be in Roman. This is a good way, this is a good way to prolong the nation. 
And so the ecclesia in Rome was the called out ones to be deployed to be missionaries for Roman way. And when Jesus came along, this is the same time that Rome is still planting colonies. Philippi was a colony. Corinth was a colony. Ephesus was a colony. And they had taken on Roman ways. And when Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, what do you think he's saying? When they heard that word, they were saying, Roman colony? Oh yeah, it makes sense. The best and brightest. They go practice the way of Christ and they convince everybody or convert everybody around them into the way of Christ. The way Jesus speaks, the way Jesus thinks, the way we clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. And we are gathered together to be deployed for action. Look at what verse 10 says again. God's intent was that now through the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Our faithfulness to being the church means we are gathered together to be trained to go out and make disciples. We have to change our way of thinking about what church is. We have to go from consumer to commitment among members. We have to go from activities to transforming relationships. We have to go from the institution to Christ-centered community. We have to go from programming to family shepherding. And we have to go from a come-and-see mentality to a go-and-tell evangelism. Recently, a student in uh, Bible college asked me what's been the biggest change I've seen in my career. I was talking to Tony Brockmeyer, our youth minister, about that. He mentioned that he's always been surprised at how fast our calendars became full. And this has happened in the last 20 years. The overcrowded calendar really influenced the way churches do ministry. It used to be in the very near past that Sundays and Wednesdays were set apart in a community for church activity, but our culture changed and no day was set apart for Christianity and other activities took the place of church activities and the church calendar would now compete with the secular calendar. Isn't it interesting that God has systematically removed all of our idols one by one with the pandemic? Sports stopped, school stopped, church activities stopped. And now that we're beginning to open school back up, and now that movie theaters are opening back up, and now that sports are happening again, what will our response be? Will we go back to doing the way we were doing things before the pandemic? Will we fill our calendar with all of the idols that think are going to give us satisfaction and meaning? Or will we reposition ourselves to be more in line with what God has in store for us And will we become not doing church activities or programs, but become the ecclesia Jesus intended? In the ecclesia, the church of Christ, we all have this important job, this great privilege as a Christ follower and a great responsibility. We are called to minister to someone else. Someone said, you got into the ministry when you got out of the baptistry. And when we as the church, the ecclesia, work together to love each other, we push back on the realm of Satan. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, Jesus said. That's because we're on the offense. He's made us messengers and ambassadors, his voice for unity at the foot of the cross. This is going to blow your mind, but look at what verse, verse 10 says. This is the other part that's going to blow your mind. He wants the church 
to give the wisdom of God, this mystery that we can all be one together in Christ, to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. Our job is to attack the spiritual realms. That's what Paul's referring to here. I'm sure Paul wants the mayors and the congressmen and the president to know about what it looks like to act like Jesus. But Paul's message to the church in Ephesus and his message inspired by the Holy Spirit to us is that we have to let this message be known to the spiritual realm. Remember when Chip was profound? He said, this is just activity from Satan to divide us, a ploy from Satan to divide us. Well, how do you stop a ploy from Satan? It's not go out and kill the people. It's not go out and attack people. It's not even go out and use logical reasoning. Have you noticed that logic has gone out the window these days? You can't talk in a logical fashion to get somebody to change if they're blinded by sin. Do you know what, you know what opens their eyes? When the church shows love to one another and has unity in the face of destruction, who conquers with radical love the hate that is out there, that's what pushes back the realms of Satan. Hate, hypocrisy, and fear, they start to dissipate when we show up as the ecclesia going out to say, and you need to know what Christ has done for me, and I'm going to show you what Christ has done for me by loving you. We're called to action. There are 59 one another expressions in the New Testament that we as a church should do. Love one another, instruct one another, rejoice and weep with one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, spur one another onto good deeds. And when we love as Jesus loved, doing these one another's, we are actually defeating the forces of darkness. We are actually taking the message to the spiritual forces and they flee when the church acts like ecclesia. When we love one another in the name of Christ, we inform the spiritual forces they will have no power over our community. When Chip, a black man, and Philip, Pastor Philip, a black man, and me, a white man, sit at lunch, and other people see us, and they see that we're friends, and that we love one another, and we're not going to always agree on everything, but we're going to love each other in Christ, the forces of evil take a step back. When we love each other in this room and when we love each other, our family, with the love of Christ, the forces of evil step back. Radical love, radical honesty, radical truth, it always wins. How do you love someone to turn back the hounds of hell? Well, I, I think if you read your Bible with someone, you can do this online or together with somebody else. When you open up the scriptures and you read it together like you saw Christy and Francine doing, when you read together with somebody the scripture and you study it and you meditate on it, you're going to force back the hounds of hell. When you pray with someone, when you listen to what their needs are and you listen to where they're struggling and you pray for them to know Christ and to be built up in Christ and to be forgiven in Christ, you're going to force back hatred, hypocrisy, and fear. When you forgive one another, when they hurt you, when you're patient with our slower brothers and sisters <laughs> who are weaker in faith, when you pursue godliness, when you flee from sin, and you pursue what God wants you to do, and what is good, you're going to force back the powers of hell, and you're going to make that mystery known that we can be one with Jesus Christ. 
We can do this online too. You know, we have an online community that needs to know how they can reach people with the love of Christ and show the unity of the gospel online too. Let me tell you, you can, uh, Ruben Skews writes that when it comes to sharing Jesus, your greatest availability ability may be your availability. Well, that's true whether you're in person or online. Your greatest ability is your availability. This is how you show the love of Christ. And if you're online, you can show uh, your availability by engaging people in conversations that are not arguments, but are encouragements. He says you can post an intentional question. Have you ever wondered what your purpose was? What, What are your thoughts on Jesus? But don't just respond with, hey, you're wrong. Let me tell you what's right. Respond in a gentle way that says, hey, you know, a lot of people believe that. I've heard something different. You can offer prayer. People are open to spiritual things and conversations about God and maybe even more so online. Nick Gumbel, Pastor Nick Gumbel in England, he runs this uh, discipleship course called the Alpha Course. And he would never let it go online because one of the great draws of the Alpha Course to train somebody how to be a Christ follower was a meal at the end of 10 weeks. Well, in England, their church was shut down too. They couldn't run any Alpha Courses. So he finally said, uh, Nick, Nick Gumbel, I believe, is um, in his 70s. And he's finally said, okay, we can do the course online. I don't know how it's going to work. He said they went from 10 groups of 10, because that's how they start their series, to 10 groups of 1,000. He said, I was so wrong not to allow how to be a disciple online. He said, we're reaching people we've never reached before. And he said, online, they are more likely to ask harder questions and to be more intimate and to get really down to the heart of the matter. He said, we have Muslims attending that couldn't come into our church doors because they're Muslim and they'd be killed in their community. And he said, we're reaching them with the gospel of Christ. He said, I was so wrong to think that you couldn't do Jesus online. He said, I've seen lives transformed and the healing of the Holy Spirit through the computer screen happen in somebody's home. The Holy Spirit is not bound by the walls of our church. We can offer the same prayer and the same intentional questions and the same conversation and the same engagement online as we do in person. And we can share our story and maybe someone will be more likely to respond because they got that little bit of buffer and more likely to get intimate in their conversations about Jesus just because of the little bit of buffer that's happening online. Either way, whether you're doing this in person, being the church and showing love, or online showing love, things will get messy when you involve people. But we have a responsibility to get our hands dirty in somebody else's mess so that we can love and encourage and bring peace that only Jesus can bring. A couple of months ago, um, during the pandemic, I had the opportunity to babysit Nick Bancroft's kids. And uh, Miles Bancroft, he's the, he's the youngest Bancroft. Miles was uh, just at the part where he was learning to walk. You know how kids learn to walk. And uh, he could get around just fine, but he couldn't go over things very well. And in the playground in our church, the playground where the slides and all the big kids played, so his brothers and sisters ran over there, Miles had to get on the playground. And so I, at first, I lifted Miles up because there's this little 
tubing that runs all the way around the playground, a big enough step that Miles, who's learning to walk, cannot get over that step. So I picked him up, put him on the playground, and he played with the kids, and then Isaac and Lucy, his brother and sister, off the playground. So what did Miles want to do? He wants to go off the playground. And so Miles went over to that big step, and I just watched. I said, kid, you're going to have to figure it out yourself, because I'm not a very good babysitter. And my, this, is, this is so great. Miles figured it out. He has to get down on all fours and pick one leg up over. Okay? But Miles doesn't like to have his hands dirty. He can't move forward when his hands get dirty. So he put his hands down and uh, wipe them off. And when they were clean, he was ready to go again. He got down. Uh, You could see the wheels turning. So he turned around this way. And he got down, and his hands were dirty. Every time he went down on all fours to pick his leg up to get over the hump and move forward, his hands got dirty. Miles finally figured out that for him to move forward, he was going to have to get messy. And he put his hands down. He put both feet over and was off running again. As a church, if we want to move forward with this unity thing, we got to get involved in each other's lives. We have to actually become the family of God. And for us to move forward, we're going to have to have our feelings hurt. We're going to have to offer forgiveness when people hurt our feelings. We're going to have to be patient with each other. We're going to have to show radical love to push back hatred, hypocrisy, and fear, the ploys of Satan, and our hands are going to get dirty, but it's a good dirt. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.